Your gut tells you that everything you've done up to this point in your recovery from your spouse's sexual betrayal is helpful, but you're missing something. That something is an intimacy with God you can't even imagine. Hi, I'm Kim Pullen, founder of Hope for Spouses, and welcome to this week's episode of Lunchtime Live. Now, for those of you who are new to our ministry, I started Hope for Spouses after my husband and I were reconciled from a four-year separation due to adultery. And during those four years, I just focused on my own healing, uh, using the scriptures, and really gathering a safe circle of others around me. And God worked on my husband, and he worked on me. And we've been back together for about four and a half years, and we have an incredibly emotionally intimate relationship. And we really believe because God is at the center of it. So when we talk about intimacy and building intimacy with God in particular, what what does that mean? So in our modern culture, we can think of intimacy uh, as sex. That's the way the world thinks of it. When you hear the word, if you would, were to look up or Google the word intimacy, you're going to see all these pictures of these you know, men and women together, um, like, you know, in compromising positions, shall we say. Like, that's the way the world thinks of intimacy. But yet, before you even get to that place, you have to have emotional intimacy. You have to have a connectedness. So I think it's really important that we define what intimacy, real intimacy, intimacy that is satisfying, that is fulfilling, that is the way God intended for it to be, is really in marriage, it's between two people. It's the union of two healthy, spiritual people who are emotionally mature, emotionally mature adults. Because that's the only way you can really have intimacy is both of you um, know who you are, you know who God is, and you understand your place in your relationship with God. So therefore, you can come together with each other. So it's not sex. And in the original language, when when we were talking about, uh, when the Bible was talking about knowing. So because when you think of intimacy as into me see, and, you know, to really look into somebody's eyes, you have to be confident about who you are. You know, the eyes are going to drop and you're not going to really you have a hard time looking at other people if you don't feel confident about yourself. And so when we talk about that word know, to know somebody, to know ourself, the Greek uses the term gnosis. Uh, and it and it has a whole variety of different uh, ways that it can be translated in the original Greek. But the word in, in Hebrew, which I love, is this word yada. And yada really connotates much more that into me, into me, into me see. Um, he, God used it when he was talking about knowing our hearts and knowing his people. And even in Genesis, it's the same word that Adam knew his wife. And so it's this deep connection that's more than just surfacy, um, but it's not just exclusive to sex. It's not just exclusive to the physical. Uh, we have to start with emotional intimacy first. Now, why is intimacy with God so important? And really, I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to say intimacy with God is more important, is even more important than intimacy with our spouse. And, and I believe partly the reason for that is because uh, even before God brought Eve into the picture, 
man had a relationship with God first. Like when they were in the garden, God created man to have a connection with him first before he brought another person into the picture. And, and we can read that in Genesis 1 and 2. And so it's almost like from the beginning, God basically set a, a standard is our relationship with him has to be established first before we can really connect in a healthy way to other people. And really, when you think about it, we get our identity and our value from God. We can't get it from another person. Um, you know, nobody can give us our identity. Yeah, we can have our parents' name, but, but our but our real identity, the identity of that really is down deep, that gives us our our deep value, can't be based on another person because we're all broken. I mean, even our parents, they're broken sinners. And they had to get their identity and value from somewhere, too. And if we're not really doing that from God, then we're setting ourselves up for disillusionment, for heartbreak, uh, for disappointment. I mean, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all broken. And, and human beings, we, we're not meant to bear the load of a God. We're not meant to be able to give each other identity. Um, in, in Psalm 40, uh, verse 4, he said, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And then in Psalm 146, 3, Do not put your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. So you know, we, we can have a fellowship with others, but we have to make sure we're not putting our value and identity and getting those things from other people because they need to be going to God to get them too. You know, all of us need to be going to God. He's at that top of the triangle and we're down at the bottom and the closer we get to him, the closer we can get to each other. But we have to look to him. We can't look to other people to give us those things. Now, parents even should be humbly teaching their children that the, the kids that, you know, the, these wonderful, beautiful gifts that God has given us, we have to teach them that we are broken. If we are following God's plan, that we are showing our children that ultimately they need to be looking to God and not to their parents to give them their value, their identity, their affirmations. Yes, as little children, they do look to us because they don't understand God. They don't understand something that, that's out of their vision of what they can see. But age appropriately, age appropriately, as our children grow up, we should be guiding them in their mind, in their thoughts, uh, in their value, in their identity of who they are, back to God. Because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to blow it with our kids. And if they are looking to us for identity, they're going to get bitter. They're going to get resentful. Uh, they're going to have attitudes. But if we're constantly turning, but being examples and looking to God to give us our identity and then encouraging our children as they mature to do the same thing, it creates just such so much more of a healthy dynamic for ourselves, but also for our kids is they're not putting this incredible pressure on us that we have to be these perfect parents. And when we blow it, they're like, you know, well, you were supposed to be this, and you're. It was like, no, we're we're not perfect. We can't maintain that uh, burden. We were not meant to bear that. So why is this so important now um, after betrayal? Why is us having a relationship with God so important? And and pretty much the biggest reason is because it's turned your whole world upside down. 
I mean, everything is different now. Now, if you were firmly anchored uh, with God before all this happened, and and recovery is going to be hard regardless. It's it's just going to be challenging. And if you had, you know, your roots deep in God and His Word, you had a, a healthy group of people that are around you that could support you. I mean, it's going to be hard with that. It's going to be very difficult even with that, working through the trauma. But if you didn't get your value and your identity from God before this happened, you're going to have to backtrack. You know, we're going to have to back up a little bit and address these broken parts of ourselves first before we can really move forward in a healthy way. Because this is going to be a big roadblock for us if we do not have a healthy understanding of this. There's a really good book that I want to share with you. It's um, Seven Desires, Looking Past What Separates Us to Learn What Connects Us. Um, And this is by a, a gentleman by the name of Mark Laser. Uh, unfortunately, he just recently passed away, but he began a an incredible program to help with purity and help with marriages. Uh, fantastic book. So I, I really, really encourage you to take a look at that. Now, before we dive into how we get it, how we address, um, you know, how we get this intimacy that we really crave, that we're really longing for, that we desperately need, um, we, I, want, I think it's important to discuss what keeps us from intimacy with God. You know, what are the obstacles? What are these roadblocks that get in our way? Now, the first thing I think is our relationship with our physical father, our father of origin. It could be a stepfather, whoever we consider kind of like this male figure in our life. What ends up happening is we just naturally, as people, we look to this person to be their character, their personality, that this is who God is, that, that they become the template for who God is in our life. And they're broken. So it's not going to be an accurate picture. But because if we were raised with a, with a parent, who a father who was um, self-centered, who was an addict of any kind, who uh, abandoned us emotionally, who abandoned us physically, who beat our mother, who yelled at our mother, who was emotionally uh, disconnected, then that's the way we're going to think of God. So that could be a huge roadblock. Uh, Our relationships with our family or our friends can also be a roadblock. We can get so distracted by our friends and our family, or they can lead us away from the truth because we don't know what the truth is even sounds like. And so what they says, oh, that sounds good. Well, that sounds good. And so we end up following what other people think instead of getting back to the scriptures. Now, we we could also have learned something specifically about God from when we were children. I grew up in a hellfire and brimstone church. And so I that's the way I viewed God for a long time until I really studied out the whole concept of grace and what God's love is all about and God's compassion. And so, you know, I, I had these pictures and I was, I had a very dysfunctional relationship with my dad, um, but it was because he had a dysfunctional, dysfunctional relationship with his father. And so my dad was taught that showing emotion and really connecting with your children was a sign of weakness. And, and there was nobody to teach him any different when he was growing up. And, and so that's what he brought into his parenting style when I was a child. And so I had to learn to see my dad as a human being and to see him as broken. But we can learn these things as children and you know, even if we were raised in a household where we went to church and our parents um, were Christians and uh, you know, they may not have taught us the whole truth 
about God based on the scriptures. Sometimes, sometimes um, churches or organizations can they focus on just a few scriptures in the Bible, like John three sixteen, great scripture, but there's thirty one thousand other scriptures in the Bible that are not addressed. So you know if that's the only scripture you're basing your entire salvation your life on. You're missing a big part of it. So, but we also cannot teach our children uh, to have a deep relationship with God. We, we, we demonstrate a shallow relationship with God. And it's not based on a biblical contextual view or on our personal convictions. And, and what we end up doing is we, we ride on the coattails of other people's convictions. Uh, what our pastor says or what our parents teach or what our godparent teaches or whatever. You know, they are these spiritual giants to us, and we ride on their coattails instead of developing our own convictions based on the scriptures. Our broken relationship with our spouse can also be a huge obstacle in that. So if we don't know the scriptures, we can confuse those priorities of our devotion. So number one, God. God is first and foremost in our in, in our priorities in our life. Our spouse is second, children are third, the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ are fourth, and everyone else comes fifth. That's the order that it should be in within our lives. So, um, the, but that can get messed up. So, and it could cripple our, our uh, intimacy with God. The next thing is physical pain or abuse or abandonment. Like, why would God allow this to happen? happen in my life. Now there's a really good book by Douglas Jacoby called When God is Silent, The Problem of Human Suffering. And um, obviously this topic is a much out, more outside of the scope of this particular session. So if, if that is, if you've been through a lot of abuse or you know or you struggle with this, like why would God let this happen to me? I definitely read, recommend that book. Now, another aspect we can also look at is our own understanding or insecurities about our value, our worth, and our identity. So what two things can usually happen. So number one, we, we may have grown bitter because we think God sees our affliction and does nothing about it. Uh, like the, you think of the Israelites as they were brought out of Egypt and went into the desert. God took them across the Red Sea, you know, but they were so self-centered. They, didn't, they really didn't understand how precious and important they were to God. They were so self-centered. They complained about everything. They didn't really understand how special and important they were to God. And so they became very self-centered, became like little children who throw their little temper tantrums because they don't like the way God's doing things. They don't like the way things are working out in their life. And we can become like that when we don't really understand that uh, God bent over backwards in a thousand different ways and he continues to do that every day in our life because he loves us so much. Okay, that's the first thing, so we can get better. Second thing can happen, we can think we are not worthy of God's attention because uh, either we recognize our brokenness, we recognize how, um, what a mess we are. And so we think, you know, here's this perfect being. How can he, how could he care about me? Why would he even acknowledge me? You know, where, how can I get my identity from, a, from this perfect God when I am such a complete mess? And I love, there's a, 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 a counter that Jesus had 
with a, a crippled woman who had been broken for many, many years. And I think this passage really has relevance. So it's in Luke 13, 10 through 16. And it says that on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman uh, was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. I like how they avoided confronting Jesus here. They were mad at Jesus, but instead of telling Jesus how they felt, they yelled at the people. Uh, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? So I love this. So first of all, Jesus saw her. Of all the people who were there, so it was all these people who were gathered in the, in the synagogue. And the women usually sat like in the back. Okay, the guys sat in the in the, in the front and the women sat in the back they were usually away from but Jesus saw her he saw her and he called her up into the middle of everything and he basically right there in the middle of everything he healed her now keep in mind here now in that culture uh, infirmity sickness blindness you know whatever leprosy was considered uh, a punishment when something like that happened uh, you know, there was the, you must have done something wrong for God to do that. Job, the book of Job goes into a lot of detail about that. Uh, and, and it was like, oh, you must have done something wrong. And so she was probably looked on by a lot of the people in her culture, maybe even by her family and her children. Like, what had she done so wrong that God would allow her to be bent over like that for 18 long years? And like her, we may have been bound up by fears, um, by all these different things that attack our value, our value and identity. And Jesus was so upset with how they viewed this woman. I mean, he rebukes this leader. I mean, this was the synagogue leader. And he basically says, your priorities are messed up. Oh my goodness, your priorities are so messed up here. And so even bent and broken, Jesus saw that she was worthy of his attention. She was worthy of a connection with him. You know, he reached out and he loved her. He reached out and he touched her and, and, and healed her. And so much so that, I mean, Jesus, Jesus loves us. And, and this is such an example of how Jesus goes out of the way to connect, you know, us to himself. And then through him, we connect with God. I mean, Jesus was so willing to do that with people on an individual basis, but then collectively with us, that he would go to the cross because our sin was blocking us from a relationship with God. And Jesus broke down that wall of sin. You know, God used Jesus to build a bridge between us and him. I mean, that's how valuable we are to God. That's why God wants a relationship with us because he created a, a space for us to connect with him. Okay, so 
what are the necessary ingredients to build this thing called a relationship with God, to really build this really healthy intimacy? The first one is humility. In Mark 10, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So change. We have to be willing to change how we think, what we think. We have to be willing to learn and embrace, you know, truths in God's word that maybe we've never seen before. We've never seen that way before. And, and we have to be open to that. We have to be like little children w willing to be taught, willing to be changed, to think, you know, maybe I've been doing something wrong my whole life and I re never really knew it. And so now it's time to change the way I'm doing it. Um, second thing we need is time. We have to make space for God. Uh, I love something that Marty Solomon from the BEMA podcast, BEMA Discipleship podcast, he says that when we make space for God, God will fill it. And, and I really found that's really true. It's almost like we have this vacuum. And if we make space for God, you know, we have this space in our hearts, God's going to fill it if we open it up to him. He's not going to leave us hanging. He's not going to leave us, you know, out there. And, and so we have to make space for that. And, and, and basically, get practical, we have to make time for God. So we, and we make time for things that are important for us. You know, if we want to watch the newest episode of whatever is out there, we're going to make time for it. We're going to work our schedules around it. So, you know, ask your kids, what's the most important thing to you? And they'll probably tell you it's what you spend the most time on. And, you know, we, we, we only have 24 hours a day. If God thought we needed more than 24 hours, he would have given us more. So we have to use our time wisely. So... A big question to ask yourself is, do you spend more time on Netflix, Facebook, you know, social media, whatever, than you do on building your intimacy with God? What, whatever you spend the most time doing, that's the things that's going to influence, influence you. So we have to really be very deliberate and, and st setting aside time to really be devoted to God, to create that space for God to come in. Number three, we need to really make a commitment. We have to be consistent in this. Uh, Matthew 5, 37 says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In Revelation 3, uh, 15 to 16, it says that God despises lukewarmness. And, and when we commit to God that we are, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote my, you know, some time to you, God, and then we don't do it. You know, it's like that's, it's, we're not really honoring our word. We're not keeping our word with God. And, and then what's happened is we slip into this lukewarmness. We just, we have just enough religion to make us miserable, you know, to make us bitter, to make us disgruntled. And, and so we've got to make sure that we're really making that commitment and, and being consistent in our relationship with God. Um, number four, community. All right. So community, what do you think? Why community? Okay. So community, um, part of this learning that we're going through in relationship with God is that we have to be connected to other people. So, you know, you need to create a healthy community of spiritually mature others whose lives you respect enough 
to help coach you along in this process. Now, I want to encourage you, don't wait for it. You need to initiate. You need to, to, to like, when can I get with you? When, we can, when can we spend some time together? I really want to learn from you. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says, uh, Paul said, to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I mean, Paul and Timothy had this very close relationship. And, and um, Elijah and Elisha, again, very close relationship. You know, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, and then they taught each other how to pray in Acts 2 through 7. There's this eight years that the apostles taught all the people uh, before the churches were scattered uh, in, in Acts 8. But all this time that they spent, they learned from Jesus, and so they were able to teach others. So we need to gather us. Uh, we can't do this on our own. We can't do it in isolation. We need a healthy community even to help us to understand. And I mean, you, you'll be amazed at the things you can learn from other people that they're doing that I would never have thought to do it that way. That is pretty cool. So uh, number five, perseverance. Now in Galatians 6, 9, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now we're not going to do intimacy perfectly. I mean, we're broken, you know, and we're sinful. Uh, and we're going to make a lot of mistakes in probably every aspect of our life, including this one. But... God is perfect, and he always shows up ready to go. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that he is patient with us. And so, you know, we just, we have to just persevere and push through. You know, we're going to fall down. We're not going to do it for a couple days. We've got to pick ourselves back up and start again, and pick ourselves and start again, and do it again. And then gradually we'll be able to get where it's going to become a necessary part of our life, but it takes that perseverance. All right. The next one and I think this is super important, is really the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not really familiar, like, okay, I've heard of that, but I don't really know what the Spirit is. If you've never really studied out the Holy Spirit, and I mean done a deep dive, especially through the book of Acts, on, on the purpose of the Holy Spirit, I, that's something you can do. Um, now, I believe that the, the Spirit is imperative to us healing because if we don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, it's trying... Uh, trying to heal through this trauma is like trying to tie your shoes with your teeth. I mean, it's just, it's just really hard um, and pretty much next to impossible. Um, but God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is, is God's presence living inside of us. John 14, 26 says that it's our counselor. You know, it tells us, it reminds us what thing, of what Jesus said. And so if we don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, a lot of the way that we're living is we're doing a lot of it on our own. And maybe that's why it's so hard is because we really don't have God's Spirit. And the only way that God's Spirit can come and live inside of us is we have to be cleaned out. I mean, God is perfect. In his very nature, he can't come in contact with sin. So, you know, he can't come and live inside of a dirty temple. I mean, that's the whole reason that God did the plan that he did was sending Jesus to die so that we could be forgiven. And he has a specific plan of salvation, which, and I'm going to step on some toes here, step, step on some toes. This doesn't, it involves more than just a simple prayer. Okay. Uh, there's not a single example in the scriptures where anybody had a prayer and got the Holy Spirit. It's, there's, there's a plan of salvation that God created, and it really has demonstrated that in the book of Acts, where Christianity or the church 
was really first introduced and demonstrated clearly how the Holy Spirit was like this deposit in us. And it talks about that in 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 21 to 22. And it says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what was to come. And it also talks about that in Ephesians 1.14. So just to understand how this whole big thing works. So the reason the, that the spirit is so imperative is because literally it's Jesus left so the spirit could come down and be connected with us. So that we're, we literally, it's like we have Jesus's spirit living inside of each of us as individuals. But in order for that to happen, um, God created this plan of salvation. Now it's important to look in the book of Acts for that plan of salvation because we can't go to the gospels because there were no Christians in the gospels. You know, this was before Jesus had died, you know, been raised again, buried, raised again. So our connection to the Holy Spirit wasn't really evident in, uh, in the gospels. Jesus, if you read John, the end of John is 14 through 16. He says, I'm going to send him once I'm gone, I'm going to send him. So the spirit wasn't, in people in the gospels now in the epistles you know that's all the letters from romans to revelation in those letters it talks about the holy spirit but it how it's how the spirit was already active in the lives because those are letters are written to people who are already disciples of jesus so really where we really see the holy spirit actively at work and really changing people's lives on a big on a very large scale and how they got the holy spirit is in the book of Acts. So it's super important that we go back to that because the uh, the book of Acts is instructive on salvation and the Holy Spirit, whereas the epistles are corrective when it wasn't, um, when the Spirit was not, uh, was being, in a sense, abused or people misunderstood it. That's what we get more in the epistles. All right. All right. So, okay, time to get practical spiritual practices that we can implement in order to help us grow in our intimacy with God. Now, at first, remember, intimacy is a relationship between two individuals, okay? So between us and God, we're going to grow in that intimacy. So whenever you have a relationship, it's a two-way street, okay? We talk and God talks, okay? Or if we're talking about our spouse, we talk, they talk, and it's a back and forth. You can't just have one person talking, it's not, that's not communication. It's got to be a two way. And it's the same thing in our relationship with God. So we're going to talk about God talking to us first. And that one of the primary ways that God talks to us is through the scriptures. All right. So, you know, God uses the scriptures first to reveal where we are so that we can see Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 says that, that basically God cracks open our heart so that we can see who we are, how God sees us, because God already sees all the way down deep inside of us. So, but he um, lets us see ourselves through the scriptures. It's like a mirror that we can hold up. We can see ourselves. All right. Why? Why is that so important? So in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says that all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we can change and have a relationship with God and be equipped for service 
you know, what God has planned for our life because he has a purpose and a plan for us. We can be equipped through the scriptures. Like it, there's a very specific practical way that the scriptures help us to do that. So that's the, you know, the first and foremost, that's the primary reason is so God can transform us more and more into the image of Christ so that he gets the glory, more people get to know him, and it just, like a ripple effect, you know, throwing a stone in the pond, boom, it just goes out from that, okay? So how do we study? So there's different levels, depends on how well you know the scriptures. I mean, I grew up kind of reading the Bible, but the version that I used was the King James Version, and it was kind of like reading Shakespeare, and for a teenager, it was like, what? Like, I didn't understand. It was like reading Greek. I didn't understand it. So when I got to college, some friends introduced me to, uh, you know, more modern versions of, of the Bible. And I like, my personal preference is the NIV. I do like reading other versions and just, it's just kind of cool seeing some different perspectives. But, so there's, you know, you could have, you could have grown up not really knowing a whole lot about the Bible. Um, and so you may be at a different level than somebody who has done deep study. Um, and there's different ways to study the Bible. So it all depends on your familiarity with the scriptures. So some of the different practical ways that you can do it is you can do a word or a topical study on a specific subject. Like you can study out faith or courage or the women of the Bible. I mean, you can do a character study. Like you can study, you know, David or Moses or Eve or Deborah. And you can study out like their life and you can read all the different passages about their life. Uh, you can do a book study, like reading and diving deep into one particular book of the Bible, either a gospel or an epistle or an, an Old Testament book. And you read it all the way through several times. Don't just read it once because we're always in a different place when we come to the scripture. So you want to read it through several times, maybe, and read it in different ways, like listen to it on audiobook, uh, read different versions of the same book, um, read it in the original language. Of course, if you... I don't know if you can read Hebrew or Greek. I can't read either one of those. But you can go back. Like there's lots of different resources that you can use to, to go back and look at parallels and see what the original Greek, how they actually phrase things in there or, or in the Hebrew, how they phrase things. And you can read them in the original language and, 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 and do some, look at some commentaries on who the original audience was. Who was that book intended for? You know, what was the time period? What was going on historically? in in that time to help you understand okay this is the big picture of this book so and what that does is that keeps us from misunderstanding things that are in that particular book because we we have the, the purpose of doing that is so we can read the whole bible in context and how does that particular book fit into the context of all the scriptures and um so um you can start like for example you can start reading the book of john you know, one of the Gospels reading about Jesus. Uh, great. That, that's one of the first things that, that I think I first read was I went through the book of John. And I loved it because it really showed me Jesus and how he connected with people. There's no parables in John. But it shows how he really connects with people and uh, powerful. Now, I do have a couple of cautions. Please, please, please don't rely exclusively on books or devotionals or other people's words, like one or two other people. I encourage you, don't like, oh, I really love the way this person preaches or I really love this author. Don't just stick with one perspective. Again, that person is a broken human being. They're seeing the world through one perspective. So their material may be great and you may connect with it, but don't just look at to their stuff exclusively. Look at a variety of things and then 
read it in context for yourself so that you, that's how you develop your own convictions so don't stick exclusively to a book or or even devotionals those those should be supplementary and not the crux of your personal bible study um, I, I, as a writer I know sometimes we write as we can skew things to say the way that we see the world and so it's so important that we don't we don't do that um, I'll give you a good example uh, Jeremiah 29 11 I know it most of us know this for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future now it's really easy for us to look at the scripture especially when we are in the traumatic situation that we're that we can be in and we think okay God has a plan for me you know he's gonna prosper me he's not gonna bring me harm plans to give me hope and we cling to that as a as a as a passage of hope and peace and security and, and I think we can we can take some of that, but I think we have to understand that that passage was not written to us. So go back and read the whole chapter of Jeremiah 29. And, and I think you'll see, I mean, it was actually written to the Jews who were in Babylon in slavery. And he promised that he was going to bring them back into their land and, and then help them to prosper as long as they were faithful to him. But it wasn't written to us in the 21st century in our particular circumstance. And it's really important that as we read the Bible, that we don't put our Western, 21st century Western views into the scriptures, that we don't, you know, read into the things, the scriptures that it was never meant to say. Uh, and there's a really good book uh, called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. Highly, highly recommend it if you intend to be a, you know, you intend to really d dive deep into the scriptures to make sure that you're not misreading things uh, because you're seeing them through your own perspective. You've got these lenses that you're wearing and this is all that you see. But when we take those lenses off, we actually see them the way that the scriptures were intended to be understood. Okay. All right. Now, how, how do we read it? You know, how do we sit down and read the scriptures? I, I think one of the most important aspects is we have to be noble hearted. In, in Acts 17, 11 and 12, um, it talks about the Bereans. These were, they lived in Berea. That's why they called them the Bereans. They were very noble hearted. And they didn't just take Paul's word for things. They went back and they studied them out. This is the Apostle Paul. They were like, we appreciate what you're sharing with us, Paul, but we're going to go back and look for ourselves because they understood what Jesus said in John 12, 48, that they were going to be accountable to what Jesus said, not what Paul said. And, and so it's super important that, that we, we hear what other people are saying, but we go back into the scriptures and we read the things in context, what other people are telling us when we're in church, you know, write, take notes of what the pastor is, is saying, because you're going to want to go back and read the scriptures before it, the scriptures after it, you know, read it in context before you start adopting that is the way that you think. Okay. Number two is in the midst of this trauma that you're in the middle of, if you're going to choose to do a topical study, I want to encourage you to refrain from long studies like on purity or repentance or anything having to do with the way your spouse should be thinking. Because what that does is that triggers you and it gets your focus off of your own healing. I want to encourage you instead to focus just on Jesus and imitating his heart and his life. So, you know, Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, set your hearts and your minds on things above. And Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says, you know, we, we need to imitate Jesus. You know, he was a servant and we need to imitate his heart. And so when we're doing our Bible study, I want to encourage you right now to focus on 
Jesus. And it's, it's, and it's almost like we're, Jesus is trying to turn our attention away from the major trauma. And I'm going to get, I'm going to get girly here. You know how when you sometimes go for a pelvic exam and the OBGYN, a really good OBGYN will, uh, you know, you got your legs up there and they're starting to explore and it's like, they start having this conversation. So how are the kids and how is it like, they're distracting you in a healthy way um, so that you don't tense up, all right? They're taking your mind off. And that's what a great, Jesus is the great physician. He knows. It's like we need to take your focus off of all this trauma for right now and put it on something that will help you to heal, help you to be at peace. And 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 God will allow, will, will start to heal our hearts, but it's in little increments instead of being so zeroed and focused on the trauma. Let's just focus our attention on Jesus and he'll start to transform us as we go. Okay. Now, if you are an intermediate or an advanced reader of the Bible, then I, I strongly encourage you to use commentaries like Bible Hub, uh, Blue Letter Bible, uh, Enduring Word. These are all some really great commentaries. And if you go to Bible Hub, there's a ton of commentaries. I think even Bible Gateway has a bunch of commentaries that you could use. Um, a lot of uh, paper Bibles have some really good applications, but again, don't just trust in that. You have to read a variety of them. Be those noble-hearted Bereans. Don't just take what one or two other people are saying. Build your own convictions. I mean, don't even just listen to me. As I'm all saying this, please go back in the Bible. That's why for a lot of these videos, I like putting scriptures at the end and encourage you to go back and study these on your own. You've got to look at the stuff contextually. Okay? All right. Second practice. That was Bible study. Second practice prayer. Again, remember the two-way communication? So we have to be talking to God as well. And that it just builds intimacy, relationship with God. Um, and usually we tend to be either better with Bible study or prayer. You know, most people are not a good balance between the two. Most people, because we are either nerds, nerd, um, who tend to like really love the Bible study. I love deepening the scriptures. And where you have the free spirits, <laughs> The opposite of nerds who are like prayer. They, they love to pray. You know, they're prayer warriors. And so usually we're, one or the other is our strength. And we have to work a lot harder on our weak side. But prayer is super important because it's how God or how we communicate with God. And even though he already knows what's going on inside of us, what's going on in our head, our prayer is so we can communicate it to him, so we can get it out, so we can build that intimacy with him. So there's different kinds of ways that we can pray. So we can do the traditional, which is kneeling. Um, and if you have knee problems like me, kneeling can only, you can only do that for so long. Uh, we can just sit on our bottom. We can sit in a chair. We can sit on the floor. Uh, we can sit on a dock. Um, we can pr be prostrate. We can be on our face, you know, and I've been that way when I was in the worst of my grief on my face. We can lie face up, you know, we're lying in the middle of a field. Lying, staring up the sky, staring up at the, sky, the, the stars. We can pray that way. We can walk as we pray. We can pray as we run. Uh, I can't do that. It's too distracting for me. My husband loves to pray as he runs, but I can't do that. Um, we can pray silently inside our mind, inside of our hearts. We can pray aloud. Uh, and we might want to do this in a place where everybody's not gathered around us and wondering you know, if we're kind of losing it or we're seeing something that's not there. So find maybe a place that you could pray aloud. It could be just in your own room. It could be if you live in, you know, a major metropolitan area, you maybe can't do it out loud. 
Um, we can sing our prayers. We can, we can sing to God. If you are, you know, if you play an instrument and you want to write a song to God, go for it. That, in a sense, is, is, is a prayer. I mean, the Psalms are prayers. You know, we can, we can pray a psalm. You know, there's 150 of them. We can pray those. We can pray a lot of them or part of them. Or we can just take a single verse and pray that over and over and over again um, in order to help dig it deep into our heart, but just to really connect with God and Jesus. Um, we can journal, you know, either a digital digital journal. I, I, I use Word to type in my, my stuff, or we can use a paper journal. Uh, in order to write out our feelings, write out our thoughts, tell God what's going on in our mind and our heart. Um, but it's just really important that in all of those things, we remember that prayer is, it's the relationship. It's that's how we're connecting to God as we're talking to him. Now, caution number three, I hear infrequently, I hear people say, oh, I heard God tell me this. I heard God's voice say this. And this is the caution. If your relationship with God is shallow or you're just really starting to read the scriptures and you haven't maybe followed God's plan of salvation like we talked about in Acts in order to become a Christian, disciple of Jesus, you probably don't have the Holy Spirit. So you may not be able to discern truth from lies. Okay? Because there's a lot of stuff that goes on inside of our heads. Because we're so influenced by the world, there are so many things that get tucked inside of our subconscious that are lying under the surface there that basically, you know, are always nudging us to do things. And if we're, we're being more influenced by the world than we're being influenced by the God's word, then those are the things that we're going to feel motivated by. And we may think that they are God telling us those things, but unless we are in the scriptures on a consistent basis, we, there's no way we're going to be able to tell whose voice that is that we're listening to. Now, in John chapter 10, Jesus said the sheep, that's us, listen to his voice, talking about Jesus. He calls his own sheep by name. He's talking about the shepherd. And leads them. His sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from a stranger because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So if we are constantly in God's word, we start to recognize Jesus's voice, what it really sounds like. And so when something comes into our head that is not in line with that, that doesn't jive with that, that we're going to be able to discern that on a much better, better level. Um, and if, if we've got to filter it all through God's word. And instead of making rash decisions or rash choices, because God told me, it's like, how do you know that was God's voice? So it's really important that we don't make these, these decisions or choices that we make based on a voice that we feel like we heard without getting advice, without diving into the scriptures, without really examining, is this really the direction that God, was this really the voice of God or the Holy Spirit in my heart communicating through God to me, or was it something else? All right, number three, what we need. So we have Bible study, prayer, fellowship. Uh, we can't have a relationship with God in isolation of others, of other disciples. I mean, God didn't create us to do that. Yeah, if we're on a desert island, yeah, but you know what? We're going to go a little loopy if we don't have other people because we're social creatures. We're meant to be around other people. So Jesus didn't call uh, his people and teach them one at a time. He did it in a community with others. 
You know, in uh, Mark 10, 42 to 45, serve one another. James 5, 16, confess to one another. Galatians 6, 6, share what you're learning. Share all good things with your instructor. So we need to initiate openness with safe people. But we need the community of healthy others, of spiritual others, who are safe, who are not trying to fix us, but are trying to help guide us more and more closer to God. Okay, now I have some really great resources. And again, these are guides to help you to build your own convictions. So the first one is a quick overview of the Bible by Douglas Jacobi. Goes dives deep into this into um, it says a quick overview, but it is like it took me like four months to go through this book. It was amazing. Understanding how all the pieces fit together, seeing the whole Bible in context and understanding them. Be Still My Soul by Sam Lang, a practical guide to deep relationship with God. Very simple, short little book, awesome. Uh, Getting the Most from the Bible by Steve Kennard, you know, a guide to study going a little bit deeper. So if you want to just, if you're just getting started, Be Still My Soul might be a great place to start. Getting the Most from the Bible might be your next place. And then a classic, Brother Lawrence's Practice of the presence of God. Really good classic book to help you kind of be aware of God and where him being all around you and living moment to moment, being aware of God being there. Okay. So our ultimate goal in all of this, kind of summing all this up is so that we can have an intimate relationship with God. That is the goal. And we, we understand and embrace that our identity and our value have to be found first and foremost in God, not in other people. And so God can use all the things that we've, you know, we've been through, all these, the tragedies, the trials, the, the difficulties. He can use this pain and, our, and, and the trauma to build a bridge that God will use to draw you into a circle of his arms so you can see yourself through his eyes. I mean, I am very, very grateful. This may sound bizarre. I am grateful that God took me through this path because I have a relationship with him now that I never would have had otherwise, all right? So if you have reached your pain threshold and are willing to accept that your relationship with God needs an overhaul, um, or you may never really have had a deep relationship with God, it's always been very superficial. You know, and if you've been doing the same thing over and over again in your marriage, um, following worldly things that you didn't even really think about as worldly, and you keep expecting something to change, and it's not. And if you really want to accelerate your healing using a holistic biblical strategy, I want you to go ahead and schedule a call. It's hopeforspouses.com slash call. Again, hopeforspouses.com slash call. We'll get on the phone for 45 minutes, an hour, and we'll talk through your situation. And we'll look at it through the lens of the scriptures and help you to to maybe see some things that you hadn't seen before and really try to get you back on the path that God designed for you to find true healing and connection first with Him and then with others. Okay, so that concludes it. A little bit longer one today, but I think you got a lot of meat. Dive in there. Learn more about how to build that intimacy with God. And we will see you next week on the Hope for Spouses Lunchtime Live. Take care.